Nice ball pass up the floor. Young to Bradham. What a block. Amazing block from McConnell. And saved by Mulcahy. Arns pops out in the corner for three. That was blocked into the hands of Mulcahy. Zero's on the clock. And it's over. Rutgers. Remarkable rally again. And the Scarlet Knights keep their postseason tournament hopes, at least for now, alive. Another quad one win in Piscataway, knocking off number 16 Ohio State by two. What a night in Piscataway. Yeah, seems like we've been saying that quite a bit this year. Rutgers storming back from eight down in the final three minutes and 48 seconds. They finished the game on a 10-0 run, stunning Ohio State 66-64, keeping their NCAA tournament hopes alive. It's alive. Alive. It's alive. It's alive. Thank you, Gene Wilder. Yes, indeed, Rutgers is alive but they still have a long way to go. We know that. I'm not going to call this the best win of the season. Honestly, there's no way you can top that Purdue win. But this game, this win, this comeback over Ohio State epitomizes what Rutgers is all about. They don't die. They never quit. They play you for 40 minutes. They grind, they push, they fight. They keep coming and coming until the final whistle. They are an extension. They are the epitome. They are what their coach, Steve Peichel, is all about. No way Ohio State should have lost this game. 348, three minutes and 48 seconds. That saved Rutgers' season. It was Geo Baker time. It was beautiful, Rutgers fans. It was Cliff Omori time. Caleb McConnell time. How good was Geo Baker? Vintage Geo. This is Geo going back two years. Geo had a hand in every single point in that 10-0 run to end the game. Geo Baker was like savoir-faire. Savoir-faire is everywhere. Man, am am I dating myself? Savoir-faire? Does anyone out there even know savoir-faire? I hope someone knows savoir-faire. Klondike cat, underdog. Savoir-faire, Geo Baker was everywhere. He hit free throws. He hits a layup. He hits a, a jumper that nearly went to the top of the rack. Jersey Mike's Arena. Six straight points. Cuts the lead from 64-56 to 64-62. Then with a minute 13 to play, he feeds Cliff Amori for the dunk. We're tied at 64 The roof is being blown off by the fans. Then 18 seconds to go. He gets fouled. He hits both free throws. A 10-0 run. Rutgers has the lead. No way they should be in the lead. This game was over. 
And if that wasn't enough, Gio then blocks the potential game-winning three-point shot on the final play of the game. You can't make it up. What a game for Gio. 25 points, six assists, zero turnovers. Might have been his finest all-around game of the season. Here's what Steve Peichel had to say about Gio after the game. I said that was an old-fashioned Geo night, you know. Again, 25 points, uh, you know, to down the stretch. He was just confident. Um, I love the fact that he had zero turnovers. I think huge stat. Um, but we had to guard people today, too. And, and when we had to sit down and guard people, we did. Um, but uh, we count on all these guys, you know, we, all the veteran guys. That we got our four captains with Ron. Um, Cliff keeps getting better and better. You know, his shooting percentage is... As good as there is in the league, he keeps, you know, doing some big things for us, those big blocks down the stretch. So everyone chipped in. You know, Gio had one of those nights, and guys got him the ball. They do a really good job. Once it was Paul's night the other night, it has been Caleb's, Ron's. They just they, they understand it. They're unselfish. They get those guys the ball, and, and they just want to win. You want to talk winning plays? You want to talk winning players? Start with Paul Mulcahy. Here's a guy who didn't want to shoot the ball. Here's a guy who was basically non-existent offensively for a few games in December. Went back to the drawing board, worked his tail off. It is night and day. Paul Mulcahy has evolved into one of the premier point guards in the Big Ten. He leads the Big Ten in assists at 5.4 per game. He had 12 points, six assists, and six rebounds over Ohio State. He continues to fill every category. How about Cliff Amore? 13 points on six of six field goals. In his last two games, Cliff Amore is 12 for 12 from the floor with 30 points. Let me repeat that. 12 for 12 from the floor with 30 points. Cliff Amore shooting 61% in the season, fourth best in the Big Ten. These guys are part of the reason why Rutgers has a resurgence. They couldn't rely on Ron Harper Jr. and Geo Baker to carry them every single game. Somebody had to step up. Cliff Amore stepped up. Paul Mulcahy stepped up. Caleb McConnell might have had the play of the game, the play that might have saved Rutgers' season on that block of Malachi Branham. Visions of LeBron James on Andre Iguodala in the 2016 NBA Finals. That's what Cliff Amore said about Caleb McConnell's block. Rutgers had cut it to 64-60. Ohio State had called a timeout. Branham breaks free into the clear, catches the ball. He's going in for a breakaway layup that would have given Ohio State a six-point lead with two minutes to go. Instead, Caleb McConnell who was behind the play, clearly, by about 
15 feet. Puts his head down, races back. He even got a shove. He even got a little push from Geo Baker that maybe made him go a little bit faster, made him get to the ball a little bit quicker and found the wherewithal to block Branham. Rutgers gets the ball at the other end. Who puts in the two-point jump shot but Geo Baker? Caleb McConnell, game-winning plays. Cliff Amori, game-winning plays. Paul Mulcahy, game-winning plays. Rutgers needed every one of them in that final three-minute and 48-second stretch to save their season, continue to give them hope that maybe they'll get to the NCAA tournament, and regardless if they get there or not, February is fun again in Piscataway. This team is a top 10 team at home. Sure, they lost to Maryland at home and Lafayette at home. You can't take that off the resume. It's stained. But they've also beaten number one, number 13, and number 16 at home. It's Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Can they turn Mr. Hyde on the road into Dr. Jekyll? We kind of have seen it. They beat Nebraska, huge comeback. They beat Maryland. But Nebraska and Maryland aren't coming up on the schedule. Road games coming up at Wisconsin, at Purdue, at Michigan, at Indiana. Rutgers will be underdogs in all of those games. Purdue and Michigan have already lost to Rutgers. Do you think they're going to be motivated? Indiana. I can't remember the last time Indiana beat Rutgers. Do you think they're going to be motivated? They're not going to catch Wisconsin by surprise. So let's put it this way. Rutgers is going to have to earn it. They're going to have to find a way to win on the road if they can get to the NCAA tournament. You won't find a tougher schedule in the country. They are in the midst of five straight games against five straight ranked opponents. Find me a tougher schedule in the country. Rutgers is 14 and nine, eight and five in the Big Ten. The goal is to somehow get to 12 wins in the Big Ten. Do that, and they have a shot. It is not going to be easy by any stretch of the means, but man, this team has re energized the fan base once again. No way did I think Rutgers would get to this point in the season after what happened to them in December. But they're here, and they are a team to be reckoned with at home, and you have to take them serious on the road. But until they do it, until they win at Wisconsin, at Purdue, or at Michigan, or at Indiana, people are going to doubt them. I have my doubts. You want to be an NCAA tournament team? 
go out there and split those four road games. That would be something. You have to win one of them. If you split them, wow. So speaking of wow, February 9th, 2022, two ranked teams from Ohio came to New Jersey. Number 16, Ohio State. Number 25, Xavier. Both teams flew home with an L. New Jersey, two. Ohio, nothing. While Rutgers was stunning Ohio State, Seton Hall was disposing of Xavier 73-71. It was a game Seton Hall needed in the worst way. Jared Roden was not going to be denied. He had that look in his eye that was saying, guys, we are not losing this game tonight. You saw it in his play. You saw it in his body language. You saw it in his verbal language. He played like a senior leader. 25 points, willing his team to victory. 14 of those in the second half. After the game, everyone from Coach Willard to Jameer Harris was talking about Roden. I think Jared's starting to get back to uh, the way he was playing before the COVID shutdown. You know, he's playing really simple basketball. He's letting the game come to him. He's not forcing it. Uh, and I think he's just, you know, he, he's just playing nice and simple. He's stepping in, shooting the basketball, and he's just playing simple basketball, which when he does that, I think he's as good as anybody. Yeah, I've been putting in a lot of extra work, man. Uh, I've been really killing myself, uh, just grinding it out, getting a lot of shots up, uh, watching a lot of film. Um, so I'm so happy that this game turned out that way because I worked hard for it. The amount of work, you know, body when Jared puts into the game, his work ethic, his intensity, you know what I mean? It's nothing like it. So as much work as he puts into the game and how much passion he has for it, you know, for him to have a night like this is special, man. I'm just happy to see it. He deserves it for sure. That was a must win for us. Um, you know, we had a tough beginning of Big East Conference uh, slate, and I felt like the guys really wanted that one. Our practice has been really intense, and I'm just so proud that we got that win. It was big time for us. It was big time. Got the Pirates to 15-7 and seven overall, 6-6 six and six in the Big East. A lot to say about this one. And here to talk about the Pirates and their three-game winning streak is one of the longtime radio voices of Seton Hall basketball, now in his 19th season, providing color commentary and calling games for the Pirates along with Gary Cohen. Dave Popkin. Pop, good to talk to you. Thanks for coming on. Hey, Brian. Always. Thanks for the invite. Oh, man, Dave, uh, you know, it's February and Seton Hall is doing what we expect them to do. January, they just seem to stub their toe and trip over themselves. Whatever the reason is under Kevin Willard, you've been doing this 19 seasons. You've seen them all with Gary. And I don't know, what is it? The, the calendar turns, they get to February and suddenly they figure it out. I mean, what is in the water? What is he feeding them? Some magic potion? What is it, Dave? I think it's a couple things. Um, first of all, mostly, I think it's coincidental. You know, I think that there are just injuries and different things that happen uh, over the years that have happened in that month. You know, and we talked to Coach after the game last night, and I saw his interview with John Fanta as well, and he, and he reiterated, "Listen, we had COVID. The guys were sick. 
they came back and they weren't themselves. Uh, they missed games, and that's why we lost the first couple of Big East games. I mean, you see how important Ike Biagu and Tyree Samuel are right now uh, to this team with the offensive rebounding and the shot blocking and just, you know, it's a total deterrent, you know, to the opponent's uh, offense. So, you know, I don't say you throw out the first two games that they lost because they played good teams. Maybe they would not have won those games anyway but maybe they would have, you know, cause they were on a roll, you know, coming into that. And, you know, you got guys miss significant time. Tyrese was basically in an apartment, um, you know, for a long time in Canada and wasn't able to work out and he's just starting to get his bounce back. So I think that's this year's situation. And of course the Bryce Aiken uh, concussion, he was their leading guy that was closing out games. So to learn how to play without him has been an adjustment and it's an adjustment that the coaching staff has been able to make. So that's that's this year's issue. In past years, I think it was other things, you know. But largely, the one constant is that the longer this coaching staff has with a particular player or a particular team, the better they get. I mean, you see some of these guys, the player development, like Angel Delgado, and you go back to so many of the other guys, Romaro Gill. I mean, there are 15 that I can name off the top of my head where the guys came in and they were good, but not that good. You know, and after time with this coaching staff, they get better. And I think that's over the course of a season as well, which, you know, we're seeing now in February. You're right. We can go on and on from, from Desi Rodriguez to Kadeen Carrington and, you know, transfers and Quincy McKnight and on and on. Uh, that's a very good point with player development. So let's talk about this Xavier win and the importance of it, right? Just mentally, Dave, after that 0-2 start, it just seems like it's been a grind. Seton Hall has been trying to dig itself out of this hole. Listen, they didn't offer excuses. They just went back to work, did it in the gym, like you said, had some practice time. And finally, they win three in a row, and now they're back to six and six. So what about the importance of beating Xavier and just getting back to that hump and seeing where it goes from here? a lot better than five and seven, you know, mm -hmm. and, and you basically uh, jump Xavier in the standings, not the conference standings really make that much of a difference. Uh, it's more of an optic um, because there's so much parity in terms of the Big East tournament. You don't want to play any of these teams, right? If you, if you play St. John's or DePaul the first day, you're not like, yay, I get to play St. <laughs> John's, you know? So the seating, I think, doesn't matter quite as much in the Big East tournament and the NCAA tournament committee does not care, you know, about your conference. Like if you're in sixth place or fourth place, um, if they think the team that's in sixth place is better and you've beaten better people and you have a better net, that's what they're going to go with. Then they're going to go with their eyeballs. So um, I think it's, you know, it's helpful that they're able to, you know, to jump up to 500 in the league. Uh, it's more helpful that they beat a team that's 20 in the net and they were uh, 27 in the Ken Palm, Xavier. Um, it allowed them to, keep pace with a lot of other teams that won last night. They actually didn't make up that much ground uh, in the computers because it's a lot of games now and it's a home game, but still um, it's a good resume win and, and it'll help in the long term. Six and six in quad one and quad two games for Seton Hall. And, and that's one of the metrics that they look at four and three on the road. Um, this win to me was about Jared Roden his welcome back. Hey, how great was he? 25 points, eight rebounds, and, and some key plays in the final five minutes of that game. Yeah, you were there and you could see the, the eye of the tiger that yeah. he had in that game. And he, 
he wanted the ball, but he wasn't selfish with the ball. Uh, I think it's a difference. And um, he was the hot hand. I mean, he his three-point shooting was not good earlier in the year. Uh, but for him to make five threes last night and for the guys to look for him and him to step right into the shot and take it, that's what Kevin wants. And Jared is certainly capable of making that shot. The only real concern uh, with a couple of the guys right now is free throw shooting, right? Yeah. I mean, the guy, he's in the top 10 of the Big East in free throw shooting and they're human, they're kids. You know, they go to the line, crucial situation and and they, you know, clang a couple, him and Miles Kale and and some other guys missed some free throws, making it a closer game than it needed to be uh, down the stretch. But in terms of Jared's defensive rebounding, his energy, his leadership, um, just his work ethic, the whole thing. I mean, he has been a model student athlete uh, for this school. He went through COVID. He went through a little bit of a slump, I think. But um, they can count on him down the stretch. He had some things to say in his press conference after the game. And, hey, we had practice time and I've been working really hard. It sounds like he was, he's been one of the hardest workers working with coach Willard and working with uh, just the rest of the managers and everybody on his shot. And the big thing that I learned from listening to Kevin and, and Jared was that he's taking smarter shots. He's not forcing shots. And maybe he tried to do too much when Aiken was out. And now he's realized he doesn't have to carry the load. And, um, as long as other guys are getting shots, he found ways last night, I thought, to get in good spots in rhythm. Um, and he, I don't think he took one bad shot last night. Yeah. And, and I don't think I've, I've talked about this much on the air, but he's going to get 15 points, whether he takes 15 shots or eight shots. Right. I mean, if he if he takes good shots, he's going to make 15 points. And, and if he if he doesn't, he's still going to get his points. But if he can do it more efficiently and not take, as you say, the bad shot, a bad shot's like a turnover. You know, you get, you, there's only a 20 or 30% chance you're going to get that offensive rebound. They're going to grab it and go the other way. And it's, it's, uh, it's almost like a steal sometimes, you know, where, you know, they grab a, a rebound that's a, that's a clang and, and off they go, you know, and they can get a layup down the other end. So um, shot selection is as important as, as passing sometimes. And, um, you know, these guys are learning that and he's, He's learned where his spots are, right? That 15 foot jumper, whether it's at the free throw line or on the baseline, um, he can do that. But now if he adds the three point shooting for, you know, forget about it. He'll be a first team, all biggies player. Uh, yes. You know, and, and, and there are so many good players in the, in the big East this year. Uh, that will be interesting. And you know what, if you win the awards, the individual awards come, if you win. And I think Jared would trade any of any individual award. Uh, if Seton Hall can win. Alexis Yetna also had a, had a very big game last night. You don't know which big is going to happen, right? It could be Tyree Samuel one game. It could be Yetna one game. It could be Trey Jackson one game. That's the beauty of this team, and that's how hard they are to defend. Last night, it was Yetna's turn. I thought he and Samuel set the tone on the offensive glass in the first half, and there were some moments in the second half. He was four for five from the floor, Yetna was, and he was taking guys down low, getting to his spot and scoring. I thought there were some big time, uh, strong moves down low. What did you think? Totally. Uh, I'm a big Yetna fan. And I said to people at the beginning of the year that I thought he was the most important addition on the roster mm. uh, because he gives you a lot of the things that, that Mamu gave you, um, you know, kind of a stretch for lefty player, good rebounder, uh, better rebounder than Mamu. 
and uh, strong, you know, defensively getting better all the time with his coaching staff and that he wanted the ball near the end and had a soft touch and was able to finish around the rim. Uh, yeah. I mean, to bring, to be able to bring a guy like that, that was like all league caliber in the American athletic conference, you know, and he's like your sixth or seventh man on this team. It's a luxury and, and you don't have to play him 35 minutes. You know, you can play him 25 minutes. He comes in, he gives max effort, hits the glass. Uh, the offensive rebounding was the key to the game. You're right. I mean, the, he and Samuel um, and Obiagu for that matter, who sometimes doesn't rebound, um, you know, between the three of them, they were getting a lot of second chance points. They out-rebounded them 41-28, to 4 on the offensive glass. How big has Jameer Harris been? How You know, Seton Hall is, this is no small number. They're 4-2 and two without Aiken. And it took them a few games just to figure out, you know, how to play without him. How, how key during this stretch has the emergence of Jameer, Jameer Harris been? Totally. Uh, I mean, Aiken had been averaging about uh, 19 points a game in Big E's play. And Harris has been able to recoup about 13 of those points, you know, in, in the last five games. He's been shooting the ball great. I love that he's been taking the ball to the basket strongly. He had two good drives in the game last night. Uh, it's taken him a while. The guy played at American, right? He wasn't playing this kind of uh, competition. Uh, he wasn't playing guys that are this strong and this fast. Um, and, and it's taken him a little while uh, to get used to it. But he's obviously got talent. He's got another year of eligibility too. So now that he's got a year you know, under his belt, and let's say he finishes strongly, if he can come in and play with his brother Jaquan next year, you have two good backcourt pieces. Okay. Uh, especially, you know, Aiken graduates and, um, and there's minutes there. Um, you know, you might even have Richmond go pro in a couple, in a year or two because um, NBA scouts have looked at him because of his size at the point. So it gives you some backcourt options moving forward. And, and now he's played meaningful minutes instead of playing 10 minutes a game, he's playing like 25 minutes a game. And I think he's acquitted himself nicely over the last couple of weeks. And Kadari Richmond, boy, I, I was critical of him, I, I think. And maybe part of it was not deserved. But, you know, when you go from playing 20, 22, 18 minutes a game, and then you're forced to play 37, 38, 39 minutes without Aiken, right, until he Willard figured out what to do with Harris, um, you could see he was fatigued. You could see he was trying to save himself because he knew that, you know, he was the option that, that Willard had looking back on it while I was watching it. I didn't feel that way. Mm -hmm. So now that he's figured out, you know, where to get his points, where to get his minutes, what do you think of his play uh, and what he's done with his all around game, his ability to slash assist and also get rebounds? Yeah, he's almost leading the league in, in steals now. Uh, I think he has great court vision. We haven't seen uh, really a lot of it, um, but he's moving up in the assist totals as well. Um, he's able to obviously, you know, post his man up. And Xavier tried to take that away last night. They double teamed him a lot uh, in the post and made him give it up. You know, they said, all right, we don't, we don't want to, you know, have that. We don't want him to post Odom. Uh, we don't want him to get Scruggs in foul trouble. Let's, let's let him unload the ball and let somebody else beat us, you know, let Yetna make a three um, Samuel, whatever it's going to be um, whoever's on the floor. I, I like his all around floor game. Uh, I think he's a better ball handler uh, than I expected at that size. Um, he's been able to um, 
keep the team under control, despite the fact that teams have pressed Seton Hall since Aiken uh, has not been there, especially St. John's. Uh, they got after him. He had to play like 38, 39 minutes in those games. And those, those games are really physical. Like that game at Walsh uh, was particularly physical. Um, so, you know, it takes a lot out of him. Um, uh, general, um, I would say B plus, you know, so far this year uh, for Richmond, he's able to um, hit an open three-point shot, even though it looks a little funny. And he's shown leadership out there. So I think he's been a good piece. Yeah, I, I think he as advertised a pass first point guard. I think at times he's been loose with the basketball. I think his handle could be a little bit better. The turnovers are a little high sometimes, but man, when you can get numbers across the board last night, seven points, five assists, eight rebounds from your point guard. That's those are like Jason kid numbers, you know, just a little bit of everything. Jason kid light. Um, I'll, you know what? I'll take that. I, I will definitely take that. Last thing I want to say about the Xavier game, Dave, boy, that, that was a, Physical, weird game, you know, a lot of fouls called. Zach Fremantle, you know, going out with that skirmish with Trey Jackson. How about the way Seton Hall held their composure? They they led most of the way, but yet Xavier hung around for whatever reason, and they did just enough to win it. But, you know, that game could have gotten ugly when, when Fremantle and, and Jackson got tangled. So, you know, to me, that was a key point in the game. Xavier was making a run. He gets ejected, Fremantle, and Seton Hall kind of regained control. Did you think the same thing? Yeah, I did. Um, and that's the benefit of having, you know, one of the oldest teams in the country. Um, you know, even without a 25-year-old Bryce Aiken in the lineup that day, they're still an old team, right? They have a bunch of grad students and seniors and juniors, and um, they've been down this road. And they're on their own home floor and they have a good coaching staff and they have been resilient. Um, and they've proven, uh, you know, the mark of a good team obviously is being able to come back, but they have proven as well that when they have a lead, they can hold it, right? They haven't blown a lead this year, really. I mean, they're when they lead at the half, I believe they're 13 and 0 this yes. year after last night. So, you know, they do what it takes, you know, they'll make just enough stops on defense they'll make just enough free throws you know to close out a game and that's that's the mark of a veteran team and i think that along with the depth is one reason why people were so high on this team at the start of the year because they could say okay you know even if you do have you know a key guy go down you know you're still seven or eight deep with old guys so there's seven games remaining dave and the big question before and after every game is when is bryce aiken coming back and i know that Every concussion is different. You can't rush these things. And no one really knows other than Aiken and his doctors when that time will be. But let's say he comes back this year. Seton Hall had to learn to win without him. Safe to say they're going to have to learn how to win and play with him again? Yeah, definitely. Um, I think it'll be a couple of games before we see Bryce back. Um, he was there. He had earplugs ear in. He's been doing some individual workouts. Uh, but even if, let's say he got cleared tomorrow, it's going to take a week or two of practice because he's missed a long time now. I mean, six games, he's missed a few weeks, three or four weeks. So um, just to get back in game shape, um, to be able to play in physical games like Seton Hall's been playing right now, um, I, I think, you know, it, it'll be a few games before we see him. And then that's the question, right? What's this team going to be? Is it going to revert back to him saving their bacon at the end of the game as he did 
a lot of times. I mean, he played great down the stretch against Michigan and Texas and Rutgers and, and a lot of their biggest wins of the year. He kind of took over and it worked out. Um, now it's been a little bit more uh, equal in terms of different heroes, as you talked about earlier in the show. One game, it's Jackson stepping up at 21 points. Another one, Harris will make four threes. Another one, Roden almost hit his career high last night. Um, you know, Richmond in the UConn game, like they have a lot of options. They've had eight different leading scorers in games this year. So hopefully he is able to integrate himself and realize what's going on right now that, you know, he doesn't have to take every shot at the end. Um, it's worked out a lot of times when he's taken every shot at the end, but he doesn't have to now. That'll be key. And that we'll see how he fits back in. And let's face it. Seton Hall is a better team with Bryce Aiken there. There's no question. I think all in all, I think he's, he's been their best player. I mean, he's their best ball handler. He's their best free throw shooter. He's probably their best three point shooter. Um, He's old, older, you know, as a player. So he, he just, He's not shaken by the press and different things. Um, I think he's terrific. I, I, I agree. I agree. So we wish him the best and we hope to see him back, uh, you know, in, in the next week or two, like you said. The next two games, all right, Seton Hall has seven games remaining, uh, three at home, four on the road. You'd like to see them go four and three minimum in that stretch, get to 10 wins. Five and two isn't out of the question. All right. You know, then then you're really at a point where you're you're you have momentum going into the Big East tournament. That's the big picture, Dave. The the small picture is at Villanova at UConn. We're going to learn a lot about Seton Hall. Are they back? Are they not? Uh, Can they, you know, get another win on the road in these next two games? Kevin Willard said, no, I'm not looking forward to it. But we as fans, I'm looking forward to it. I know you are. Yeah, I mean, if they split these next two games, um, and even if they go one game under 500 overall, like 30,000 foot view, um, I, I think they're in, you know, they're in easily because of the quality of wins that they've had. Um, you know, let's say they, I'm making it up, and Villanova, UConn, take your pick. Let's say they win at Villanova. Who's done that, right? I mean, one other team, I think, has done that this year. Um, so there's certain things on your resume that the committee, you know, can't overlook. You would like to get out of that eight, nine game and, and go five and two, as you say, and, and really start to, you know, move up and be ranked again. And um, okay. Yeah. Maybe you're a six or a seven, and then you have a, a more winnable game. Um, you know, because we've been down that road too many times, you know, these just uh, these nail biters and these tough opponents in the eight, nine games and the, and the seven, 10 games. And um, you know, if they can go on a run and, the big East tournament gives you a lot of opportunities too. So let's say you go one game under 500 in the regular season, but then you go to the big East final and you've beaten a couple of good teams along the way and get a couple more, you know, good resume wins. Let's say you beat Marquette or something like that in the big East tournament. Then you're really set up nicely. And the, and the committee has to take a, a long, hard look at giving you a decent seed. So, you know, I, they put themselves in position and, you know, essentially if they go 500 down the stretch um, you know, they'll be in the tournament. Yeah, I think we're starting to see the team that we saw pre-COVID, the team that defends, the team that rebounds, the team that gets after you. Like you said, the team that can have any different player be their leading scorer. Uh, They're in a good place right now to play Villanova and UConn. So those games are going to be fascinating. But Dave, 
you're not all just Seton Hall basketball. All right. You and Gary have been a, a tandem now for 19 years. Um, you also do the Northeast Conference. Uh, you do a little baseball with the Buffalo Bisons. Um, Northeast Conference, how has that been working out? And how do you handle both, right? Doing all these and wearing so many hats. As I get older, naps and coffee. <laughs> I have a game tonight, actually. Um, you know, as we tape this, um, Battle of Brooklyn, St. Francis and LIU. Um, you know, luckily I've seen uh, each of those teams already this year. Uh, and it's, you know, you could throw the records out, as they say, when those two uh, get together and LIU has a chance to win the league. Um, it's been great. I mean, I've done the NEC even longer, 22 years, and, and it's been like family. And uh, I know those coaches and the administrators and, and the teams, you know, pretty well. And um, I think Wagner, you know, and Bryant are clearly the best teams. Uh, LIU is on that next level. They haven't really developed that killer instinct or that consistency, um, I think, to, to win the league. Mount St. Mary's is very good. Uh, they're right there, you know, with like a Bryant and, a, and an LIU right now. But Wagner just lost their second best player, Elijah Ford, for the year with a knee injury. He was scoring about 14, 15 points a game. So that changes the equation for them. Um, but, you know, they're undefeated in the league. Bashir Mason is a hot coach name right now. Jared Grosso is a hot coach name right now at Bryant. Um, so, you know, I think one of those teams could not be a 16. You, you might see Wagner, if they run the table, be like a 13 or a 14 seed this year, which gives them a much better chance to win a first round game. And the NEC doesn't usually get that. So that's exciting from an NEC standpoint. Getting back to you and Gary. What, what's it like to work with the same partner for, for 19 years? Well, I've had practice because I've been married for about 27 years now. You know, my <laughs> wife, <laughs> it's like that. We're like an old married couple. Uh, it's fun. You know, I mean, it's, I think he's the best in college basketball, you know, and I'm not just saying that because I sit next to him uh, every night. I listen to a lot of broadcasts. Um, I think he's great you know, at what he does and he loves it. And, you know, the New York Post article recently, he talked about not wanting to quit Seton Hall ever and good for him. You know, I mean, he's earned it. He's been in the Big East so many years with Providence and St. John's and now uh, with Seton Hall. And he just, you want him on the game when it's a big moment, you know, he's going to nail the big call and, um, you know, he's, he's a very dynamic announcer. So uh, yeah, I've, I've learned a lot, but at the same time, I feel like I haven't changed a whole lot because we had the same sensibilities coming in and we clicked right away. Like we haven't had um, a, a season where like we're stepping all over each other or anything like that. It's, it's like ballroom dancing, man. It's like you just get in that rhythm and I know kind of what, what he wants to say and when he's going to talk and I'll just get in and out. And um, yeah, it's been, it's been a cool experience. Ballroom dancing. It's a 10 from Len. <laughs> That's what I'm giving you, Dave. 10 from Len and a, a 10 from Brian. Last question before I let you go. Uh, you know, what, what has been your favorite moment as a Seton Hall broadcaster for the last 19 years? Can you pick one? I can. Um, it was the Big East tournament win uh, when Whitehead hit the game-winning shot and Kevin fell down on the sidelines. <laughs> and, I mean, Gary had a big call on it. And uh, I let it breathe for a second. And then I said, that ball sat on the back of the rim for 23 years. 
because it had been that long since they won the Big East tournament. And it just the jubilation and the relief from the Seton Hall people in the building that night. And then afterwards, which was like my favorite part, because you go outside and the band is playing, uh, you know, out on the uh, the apron of, of Madison Square Garden, uh, celebrating and the fans are out there with the band. And then I, I, I don't usually go out after the game, but I'm like, I'm going out after this game. So I walked down the street and all these bars had like Seton Hall people in them. And I saw like, you know, a lot of the super fans that follow us on the road and some of the coaches and and everybody was just so happy. And I was I was happy to be a part of it. And and that, um, you know, they, they finally had their moment. And that's something, Dave, that, that's what great broadcasters do. Right. That wasn't rehearsed. That call by you just came from what you just saw that ball sat on the rim it felt like for 23 years man i've never heard that you know I'm, as much as i've heard the television call i've never heard heard the radio call I, i'd like to get that from you because listen to me that's that's brilliant that's someone who's been around the seton hall program for decades that's someone who let's share this with our listeners who's married to a Seton Hall alum. Uh, so you know Seton Hall basketball as well as anyone. Man, that that that's awesome. I got goosebumps just I, I can picture you with that call too. So that that's that's very cool, Dave. Very cool. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. Yeah. I mean, we uh we paid our dues with some lean years. So I was happy to get, you know, some winning years there as uh, as Kevin turned it around. No question. It's fun again. It's February and Seton Hall is starting to ratchet it up. Uh, we'll see what happen, happens against Villanova, against UConn, and the remaining seven games. Dave, I will catch you at a game very soon. And when I'm not at a game, I always try to catch you and Gary on the radio. So thanks for the time, and thanks for coming on the Tri-State College Basketball Podcast. Thanks, Brian. I always appreciate you. Good show. All right. Great stuff from Pop. Man, he has been there every step of the way for the past two decades. Through rain, sleet, snow, my man, Dave Popkin, delivers. He delivers more than the mailman, right? The mailman doesn't even deliver in the snow anymore. Dave Popkin delivers. It's February. Seton Hall and Rutgers have their mojo back. It is a great time for college hoops in the tri-state. What games we have this weekend? Rutgers at number 14, Wisconsin. Seton Hall at number 15, Villanova. Number 24, UConn is at number 25 Xavier on Friday. They followed that up with a trip to the Garden to play St. John's on Super Bowl Sunday. That is a super weekend. Enjoy the games, everybody. I know I will. Thanks for listening to the Tri-State College Basketball Podcast. So long. So long.